what do you need in your life? And I'm not talking about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of water, food, shelter. I'm saying, what do you need to get you through the day? What are those things that you're like, ah, oh, I need this? I know for many of us, it's our cell phones, right? I need this. I need this in my life. If I forget my cell phone at home when I go to work, it's like, oh, every, every moment I'm feeling that I've lost something. I've lost my right hand. I need, I need my phone. I need it because it has my contacts and, and, and people might be texting me or for the older generation, people might be calling me. And, and, and I need this in my life. I need the information. I need my phone. And, and maybe for you, it's, it's not your phone. Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe it's your coffee, right? Don't talk to me until I have my coffee in the morning. I need coffee to get me through the day. And, and there are some of you who, I'm not going to use the word addicted, but uh, need coffee so much that if you don't have your coffee in the morning, you start getting that caffeine headache where you're like, oh, I, I, need, I need some coffee. And we have these desires and affections in our life where we, where we look at things and we say, we need this. I need this. And the funny thing is, is I know in my head that I need God but I don't normally have that same response to God as I do with my cell phone and coffee throughout the day. Because there's probably days that have gone by where I have forgotten about God and it doesn't feel the same way as it does forgetting my cell phone. And there are Sundays that I missed church before I was a pastor where I wasn't worried about getting a headache halfway through the day because I forgot to praise God. Why is that? Why is it that I know immediately when I forgot my cell phone. I, my body tells me that I forgot to have a cup of coffee. And yet, it's so easy for me to forget the Lord. It's because it's true. We have actually forgotten what God has done for us and our need for him. I don't forget what my cell phone does for me. I don't forget what coffee does for me. But I do forget what the Lord has done for me. And unless we train our hearts, unless we stop and say, wait a second, I need, to, I need to train my heart to have the same desire and affection even greater than the things of this world, we will always be in a category where we desire the things of this world more than we desire the Lord. Because there is a separation in what our minds know that we need, the, we need God and the desires and affections of my heart. So how do we actually come to know the same praise as the psalmist? How do we come to have the same affection that we do for our cell phone, our coffee, or whatever it may be in your life? Well, there's three things that we need to pursue. We need to pursue our knowledge of the Lord. We need to pursue our knowledge of ourself. And then we need to pursue and acknowledge what God has done for us. So those are our three points this morning. So first, who is God? Um, if you were to take, you know, a half a page or, or a sheet of paper and just start writing who is God... Who is he? What would you write? And actually, we've, we've provided a blank sheet of paper in your bulletin. If you'd like to start writing, you can do that. Or if you want to take out your cell phone and start making a list, or you can just make a list in your head. It's okay. But what can you say about what you know about God? You know, we could start with saying, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. He's the beginning and end. He's creator, redeemer, and friend. I mean, we just sung quite a few songs about the goodness of God, of who God is. He's our Savior. 
And, and now before you get too far on your list, I know I might be cutting you off a little early and you could probably keep going. Um, but let's look what the psalmist says about God. What, what list does the psalmist make? So in the very first verse, even before the psalmist says anything about the Lord, immediately he acknowledges what needs to be done. Praise the Lord. He calls out in praise. He says, there's an acknowledgement of who God is that I need to just respond with praise. And then he goes forth and he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. So we know, we acknowledge right away that the Lord is good and he has love that never ends. It never ceases. It goes on and on and on. It's a great list and it's a great start. But even, even then the writer kind of stop and stops and recognizes because look what he says in verse two. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are those who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. And in order to do justice and righteousness, we need to have action, right? We need to pursue it. We need to, to look for it. We need to go for it. And who is the one who has justice and righteousness? It's God. It's the one who he just said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. To actually go to God and say, wait, this is the one that I need to pursue, to pursue justice, to pursue righteousness, because that's who God is. And so this is not the writer giving up saying, well, you know, there's too much to say about the Lord. No, it's actually the writer being honest and saying, all of my days of my life will be the pursuit of the Lord, will be the pursuit of justice and righteousness. We'll, all my days will be a day of praise for the Lord because of how great the Lord is, of how good the Lord is, that my praise for him will never end. And so our response needs to be the same. Not, not to have the approach of, well, God's too big to be known. There's too much about the Lord. I, I can't possibly know everything, so I give up. No, it's, it's actually to acknowledge and say, there's so much about the Lord that I can never end. My life will never end before I know everything about him, so I need to pursue him every day of my life to go forward knowing that this pursuit will never end. And look, I, I recognize that this is hard because there's nothing in the world like it, right? If you go to school, you know that eventually that assignment that you've been procrastinating on will be due and finished. That, that teacher that you might not get along with, you know that they will no longer be your teacher next year. You know that when you step outside of high school, you don't have to ever go back to that building. That you've put in the work, you've put in the time to finish it. And yet with God, it's not like that. Because if we think that God is like school where, all right, if I just pursue the knowledge of the Lord enough, I will get to the point where I'll be finished. Or if it's like work where we can put a date on the calendar where it says, I've been to church this many years of my life, so I know enough. And we, we've seen this, we, even, even in my own heart, I acknowledge that there's times where I go, I've read enough, I've studied enough, I've been to church enough, I've been a Christian long enough, I've gone to Sunday school enough, that, that I know enough about the Lord. And in those times, that's when we need to recognize that our affection for the Lord has grown gone cold. But if we actually do what the psalmist calls us to do, if we actually recognize the depth and the width of the knowledge of God, of who God is, then there will be a never-ending pursuit in which all the days of my life says, I need to know more about God. I need, in my heart, there will be a desire in which we say, there's more to be known about who God is. There's more to be acknowledged of who God is. There's more to praise God for who he is. There's more to pursue. And so what this calling is, is for every day of our life to acknowledge 
the depth and the width of who God is and to say, there is something new that I can know about the Lord. There is something new that I can reflect on about the Lord. And this is why we say in, in most of our applications that I need to read my Bible every day. I, I need to go to church. I need to go to Sunday school. I need to be in fellowship with other believers. And it's not just because that's the easy answer. It's because it's the true answer. It's the one presented by the psalmist in which we say, I need to pray and praise and pursue the Lord every day. And listen, I know if your heart has gone cold, if you don't have affection for the Lord, that is very difficult to do. So let me encourage you to do what we just did, which is just start writing a list. Even if it's just one thing. If, if every day you spent, I'm going to think about one thing about the goodness of the Lord, you recognize that your life will be completely different. Imagine if in the morning you just say, I acknowledge that God's in control. I, 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 I acknowledge this morning that God's in control and I'm going to think about that today. And then what happens as your day goes on? There's going to be times where you feel like you're out of control where you don't have control. And instead of turning to your cell phone or to coffee or whatever other mechanism you use to, to heal yourself, you're actually going to turn back to the Lord and go, wait a second, but God's in control because I recognize that, because I know that about the Lord. And if we spend the rest of our days pursuing the knowledge of the Lord, there's going to be moments like that that grow more and more where every day we're going to say, wait a second, this is, there's a truth about God that's going to deal with this situation. Every day there will be, a, there will be a, a heart attitude that says, I need God and I need to learn more about him. And we will feel God's closeness in our life, but also we will acknowledge more and more the vastness of the Lord, that there is no way that my days will end before I know everything about God. And so our desires and affections and our need will come from a recognition of the knowledge of God, of the depth of God. And not only that, but also our affections, desires, and needs can also come from a recognition of who we are before the Lord. Because what does the psalmist spend the majority of his passage on? It's, it's the wickedness of the people. And, and whose sin does the psalmist talk about? And at first glance, again, we didn't read it, it, it seems like it's story after story after story of how God's people have sinned, how, how past generations of the psalmist have done wrong. It's, it's the story of the Red Sea. It's the story of the Promised Lands. It's the story of people rebelling against Moses. And it's easy for us to say, look how bad and wicked these people were. But what perspective does the writer take? Look back at verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. It's acknowledgement that he's in the same camp as these previous generations. As one commentator puts it, it is one thing to condemn an earlier generation. It's quite another to see oneself mirrored and involved in it. The admission turns from an indictment into a confession. And this is where we need to begin. If, if we are struggling with a need, a desire, an affection for the Lord, then what we need to do is say, I need the Lord. Because probably what has happened in our life, if, we're, if we don't have an affection for the Lord, it is more often that our hearts have been taken hold of where we go, other people need the Lord. Where, where you look at past generations and you look at the sins of past generations and you go, look how wicked they were. They needed God. Or you turn on the television and you look at, at, at the nuttiness of the world and you go, Look how the world needs Jesus. <laughs> and in such a way where you go, I'm, at least I'm not as crazy as that person. Because they need God. 
but do we need God? Because if your heart attitude is to say, everyone else around me needs the Lord, then you don't need the Lord. They do. You don't have a problem. You're not as wicked as they are. You're doing pretty good. But if you actually take the proper approach that the psalmist takes, in which you say, I and these people have sinned, then our need, affection, and desire for the Lord will grow. So if you actually go back to that sheet of paper or, or, your, or your cell phone or the thoughts that you have in your head, if you started making a second list, whether beneath it or next to it, where you started writing all the sins that you have committed, what would you write? And we can actually use this passage as a guide. Look back at verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. See, the people forgot the thankfulness that they had for the Lord of rescuing them from the slavery of Egypt. Have we forgot to be thankful for the Lord? Have we forgotten what the Lord has done? I have. Verse 16. When the men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. Have you ever been jealous? I have. Verse 19 through 20. They made a calf in Harab and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Well, I've never done that. I've never worshipped a metal image. That's silly. No, I've done that as well. Verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. This is where they, they said to God, you know, we don't, we don't approve of your plan. We don't approve your idea. And we're going to go our own way. We're going to make our own life, make our own power, make our own wealth. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to God, this is what I want to do with my life and I'm not going to follow your, your leading? And the list goes on and on and on. And it's not just the sins of a previous generation. It's not just stories in the Bible, but it's the sins of our hearts as well. And it ends with verse 43, in which he says, Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Many times the Lord has delivered me from sins, but many times I've rebelled against him again. Many times I have done wickedness. Many times I have done evil. So where are you at? Are you tempted to say, at least I didn't do that. At least I'm not like that person. Or can we be like the psalmist and say, we, like those around us, like other generations, have sinned. We have committed evil in our hearts. We have done wickedness to others in our actions and in our thoughts and in our deeds. We've done things against other people that are wrong. We've done things against the Lord. We've rebelled against the Lord. We are very much the opposite of verse 3 where it says, Blessed are those who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. I have not done that at all times. In fact, I've gone in the opposite direction. I don't deserve blessing. I deserve punishment for my wickedness. And here is where much like truly knowing and remembering who the Lord is, the depth and the knowledge of the Lord, the same thing can happen when we acknowledge the depth of our sin, of our wickedness. It will make us and stir in our hearts a desire, a need to fix this. 
an affection to say, wait a second, I, I need help. Because think about it this way, when you're sick, what actually leads you to action? It's when you acknowledge it. I know that there's some of you who don't want to acknowledge when they're sick, right? Everyone else knows around you that you're sick, but you're like, I'm not that sick. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling okay. And it's like, no, I think you should take the day off of work. I think you should rest. No, 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 it's okay. If you don't acknowledge that you're sick, you're not going to get the medicine. You're not going to go to the doctor. You're not going to get the rest you need, even though we and you know you need to. It's not until you actually acknowledge, wow, I feel really sick right now that I need help, that I need the medicine, I need the doctor, I need a healing. And this is the same with the truth of who we are. If, if you are actually able to be honest with yourself and say, look at who I am, I am sick, I am wicked, I need to be healed, then you will actually have what you know might be in your head that you know you need God will actually move down to your heart where you have a desire, affection for the Lord, where you say, I have done evil and I need the goodness of God. And one of the best ways to actually work on this in our hearts is to use others, especially the people of the Bible as, as the psalmist has done, where, where you compare yourself to the sinners of the Bible and not in such a way where you look at the sins of the people and go, how silly were they being? I can't believe they did that. But instead to use the Bible and the people of the Bible as a starting point where you say, look how they've sinned and look how I've sinned like them. And maybe even look how I've sinned worse than them. To dig down deep into our hearts and say, what have I done wicked? What have I done wrong? Where have I been worse? And if we do this, then we'll be in a place of great need and, and our desire for a savior will grow where we say, I need something to solve this wickedness. So what do we do with all of this? Because if you were making a list, you should no notice quite the contrast between the two of them, right? You should notice the goodness and the holiness of the Lord and the difference of the wickedness and evilness of your heart. And that there's actually a gap. There's a gap between the two. There's a gap between the love and goodness of the Lord and the, there's a gap between your actions. But I hope even by looking at this gap, by looking at these lists, I hope that you feel something. I hope there's a desire, a, a need to fix this, a, a, something to say there needs to be something to take care of this problem, to make it right, that there's, that there's a need greater than a cell phone or coffee or whatever it may be in your life, that there's a need to say, this is the biggest issue in my life is my soul. And if you have that desire, then the praise of the psalmist and the truth of this passage will actually be a balm to your heart. Because look at verse 45. This is actually uh, almost a, a complete summary of the Bible and our relationship with, the God, with God. Verse 45. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love it's, it's that this God who is infinitely holy, who is infinitely good, who, who calls us to pursue righteousness and justice, acknowledges that we have sinned, that we have committed evil, that we have done wrong. But God, even though the gap is wide, remembered his covenant, remembered his promise, remembered his promise to send a savior Christ to rescue us, to rescue us, to save us from our sins to take on the holy wrath of God on himself so that when we stand before God, we are viewed as holy. That, that this is the cross that Christians cling to, 
that we hold fast to, that, that the cross is a bridge between the holiness of God and our sinfulness, that it actually connects the two and brings them together where, where Christ takes on God's wrath. And our only response, if we actually understand this, if we understand that we can be forgiven for our sins, is to be the same as the psalmist. Look at verse 47 and 48. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. Our, our only response to acknowledgement of our wickedness and the goodness of God and him bringing them together and showing us his love, although we've been wicked, is to praise, is to call out, to rejoice, to never cease in praising all the days of our life. So actually, let's, let's do what the psalmist calls us to do right now. If you believe in the hope of Jesus, then let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. All right, let's do that. All right, let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. You did better than the first service, so let's do it one more time though. All right, let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord, right? And right now, I will tell you that I have a desire and affection for the Lord. I recognize my wickedness. I recognize my sin. And I recognize the goodness of the Lord. And I get to call out to God and recognize that he has a steadfast love for me that will never cease. That he will always forgive me for my sin. That he will always bring me close. And, and, and listen, this is amazing because I have a greater need for my, than for myself or our coffee right now. <laughs> I have a greater need for the Lord. But I recognize that that can grow cold. But at the same time, I want you to know that you don't have to just be in church to feel this. You can have this every day of your life. If we continue to pursue the knowledge of God, if we continue to pursue the greatness of the Lord, if we continue to pursue to know who God is, then he will infinitely become greater in our lives. And if we continue to acknowledge who we are before God, where we continue to look at other people and say, I'm worse than that person. I'm the greatest sinner if we continue to acknowledge our sin to God, then the only response to us knowing both these things is to respond to God's grace and love and mercy with praise and to know it in, not only in our heads, but in our hearts that I need Jesus. That, that, that the cross will actually become bigger in our lives because the gap will continue to widen in our acknowledgement of who God is and who we are. And then all I will be able to say is, I need the cross. I need God's love. I need his steadfast love every day of my life. And that love will continue to grow. That affection will continue to grow. That need will grow greater than anything else in this entire world. You know, a big sporting event is coming up and everyone, or I should say most people, are watching it for one thing. The commercials, right? Super Bowl's coming up. Look, I do it too. I'm mostly watching it for the commercials because they're funny, they're, they're creative. Um, but every single one of the commercials is telling you that you need something, right? Gotta have a Wawa. Gotta have my convenience store. All right? Or, or hey man, you're really upset. Have a Snickers. Have a, you need a candy bar because you're angry. Every ad is telling you that you need this product. And do you know what that technique is called by some people in the advertising agencies? Product evangelism. They actually use the word that we are supposed to do, which is to evangelize to one another. And this is what one, one um, uh, ad agency uh, person said. We don't just sell a product. We sell a dream, a hope, a need. 
you sell to people so that they strongly believe they need your product. Our love for phones, for coffee, for whatever it may be in your life, comes from someone convincing our hearts that we need those things. But you don't. You don't need a product. It's a lie. You need evangelism to your soul and to the souls of others. You need to hear every day how there is a God who is holy and good. You need to hear every day how you are not better, but need as much rescuing, if not more, than other people in your life. You need to hear that there is a God who remembers his steadfast love and his promise for you and has given it to you. If you hear those things, if you acknowledge those things every day, then your desire, your affections, your heart will stir in which you say, I need the Lord. Give me Jesus to let all the people say for the rest of our lives, amen, praise the Lord.